You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great. Last week I did a a one-off on the Word of God. This week I'm also speaking on a one-off. Next week we're going to be starting a new series called Autonomy. Really looking forward to that. It's going to be on the book of Judges. So if you want to get ahead for next week, start reading the book of Judges. I'm going to preach today on money. Mm. (laughs) Some are a little bit nervous and some are cheering. It's quite emotional, isn't it? It's probably one of the hardest talks we do. I look back and we've been going for five years now and once a year I preach on money. We think it's an important thing to do and yet every time I probably get a little bit nervous. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into the Bible. (laughs) Father, we thank you so much that you are our Father in heaven. We thank you so much that we can know your unconditional love for us. We thank you you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. We thank you you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. We thank you we all learnt the verse, God so loved the world that he gave. As we now look at this topic of money, living in London, there's, there's pressure, there's opportunity. God, we pray that you'd speak into our hearts. We pray that we will respond to your word. For your glory. Amen. Great. If you've got a Bible then, I'd love it if you could turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. This is part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount that's been so called, Jesus teaching. And I'm literally going to read five verses to you. In my Bible, it's got the title, Treasures in Heaven. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I find this a really interesting passage because it almost feels like there's these two extremes. I love being a part of Redeemer Church because, as many of you know, there are 172 nationalities that live in this borough, and we've always wanted to get as many of those nationalities in one room together as possible. The joy of that is it's great to be involved in a diverse church. The challenge of that is that when you come to a topic like this, I wonder if the diversity in our pocket is bigger than the diversity of our skin. 
The reality is that some of you will be sitting here and you won't even want me to say this, but you owe £50,000 as your student debt, while others of you are sat here with two or three properties. Some, if we're really honest in this church, have had three meals out this week, and others may have had to miss a meal this week. Because that's some of the diversity that goes on. Some people, if they're really honest, have got to that time, oh, it's coming up to the end of the financial year, wonder what the bonus is going to be this year. Whereas when I'm speaking about this topic, there will be others that honestly are struggling on benefits just to cover the cost of living. It feels like in this passage and in the church there are two extremes, two ends of the spectrum, two opposing situations. I'd like to suggest that the Bible has got two ways of looking at money. One is that it's a blessing, and one is that it is a danger. I'm going to start with the blessing, because I like to start with the good news first. In the Old and New Testament, you find that money is considered a blessing. If you look in Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. I read this week that there's 49 promises of prosperity in the Old Testament about money, 49 promises all about money, and 43 of them are good. It's almost like prosperity is a good thing. It's a good thing. And so if you look at it, you could genuinely say that actually money can be a blessing. We know that's true even in the New Testament. In Acts 20, remembering the words of Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Actually, money can be involved in blessing. I'm going to say, say five things where I believe that money is a blessing to us today. The first is this. Money is a window on the goodness of God. Think about it. Every good gift that you have comes from God, so therefore everything should point us to God, to the faithfulness of God. Even if you say, well, I've earned this money, who gave you the talents? You know what I'm saying? Well, I've done this, I've worked hard this month or this year. Or the, Who gave you the energy? Ultimately, money reminds us that God is good. He gives us gifts, talents, and abilities. Even if you're in a tough situation, hopefully it reminds you you're not alone. Money, I believe, is a blessing because it is a window on what rules your heart. You see, if, if I suddenly had 100 quid come through the front door in an envelope, total surprise, what could I do with it? There's one thing that I would spend it on. And those that know me well know straight away Pete will go and buy some books. I just love books. Whereas my wife would probably give it away, which is why I tend to get to the post first. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You suddenly think, because actually it probably reveals the heart. I think, oh man, if I had a few more books, then that'd be really, really helpful. And actually she thinks, well, actually we've probably got enough we could bless somebody else. I think that's a blessing. I think it shows what my heart is really like. What I do with that is then the challenge. I think money is a window on the dangers of the fallen world. You see, I often think if I just had that one thing, I'd be satisfied. 
Think about it yourselves. And I know this will be true of people in the room. Who's been on the holiday of a lifetime only to want to plan another one the next year? Well, it doesn't make sense then, does it? It's almost like, well, this is it. I thought, man, if I went to this place or brought this thing, I'd be totally satisfied. But the honest truth is that afterwards we realized that it doesn't satisfy us quite as much as we were hoping. Money is a means of responding to the needs of others. The beautiful thing is that if you have some money, you're able to bless other people. And therefore, I think surely that's a positive thing. I still remember after one of our days of prayer and fasting, some of us went for a kebab afterwards. I loved a kebab. And then it was time to pay, and somebody in the group, unbeknown to us, had paid for everyone's. I thought, oh, I wish I could have eaten it again, because when it's free, it's twice as good. (laughs) You see, I'd been blessed, and we're able to bless others with the money that we have. Money is a blessing because it can connect you to the wider kingdom of God. I think that actually the way you invest your money draws you into something much bigger than yourself. And so actually, it can be a huge blessing. Last year, it was about um, February last year, my son and I were in Tanzania. And as a church, we'd given some money there. And you think, wow, what a blessing to be a part of that. We got a guy coming back to preach from Istanbul, the church plant we're involved in there. I tell you, be here. I think it's May the 20th. Because you would think, wow, our money, what a blessing to be able to give to the nations. Money can be a blessing. Okay, money can be a danger. In both the Old and the New Testament, it can be a danger. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Oh. I think, God, if I, if I just think about that verse, if I was to take five minutes, that would probably do me in as it is. So I'll lay another one on while you're still reeling. 1 Timothy 6 says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. What are the dangers of money? The first thing is this, The danger of money is that you can forget your need of God. When Nikki and I were first married, I met her. I was a primary school teacher. I met up with another teacher every Friday morning at 6.30 to pray. And I know it sounds terrible, but, you know, back in the old days, we were really skint. And it was amazing. Friday by Friday, we said, oh, God, you've got to provide. And the miracles that happen. The danger is the more money you have, the less you tend to pray. You tend to think, I'm self-sufficient, and I can provide for my own needs. Money can change the way that you think about yourself. The way you think about yourself. I, I read a, a report this week, and now suddenly, you know, everyone's going to be looking at what car you drive. The nicer the car you drive, the less likely you are to stop at the zebra crossing. Because the more you're wrapped up in your own wealth, the less you think about other people in life. Ooh, there you go. Yeah, I drive a Safira, so I'm okay. (laughs) Money can cause you to look down on others. 
I don't know if you saw, and I'm not having a pop at any particular university, I'm just trying to be, you know, I saw an article, I think it was in The Guardian, of students at Cambridge University that to belong to a certain society had to go and burn a £20 note in front of a homeless person. I don't know if you saw that. It's almost like, I've got so much money, I burn a £20 note, you walk away, they became part of the society. Now, that seems a rather extreme way, but the reality is that it can make you think about yourself and look down on other people. Money can weaken your resolve to fight temptation. You see, without money, I believe you have to be more disciplined, and I think that flows into every area of your life, how you make choices. And money can finance your allegiance to the kingdom of self, because it's easy to get focused on, I want, I deserve, because I'm worth it. I'm going to try and pick this sermon up a little bit. I can feel, oh golly, no one's going to come back next week. (laughs) Jesus has loads to say about money. And the danger is, I can find it a little, it's not, not British, is it? You know what I'm saying? 39 parables in the gospel, 11 of them talk about money. So if I was to preach on money in proportion to Jesus did, you'd get a sermon like this every three weeks. So it's interesting, isn't it? Because we can sometimes think, oh, should we really be going on money? I know that we have several American families with us, so I'm not trying to put you off. But I read these facts this week. The, American, the average American shops for six hours a week but only spends 40 minutes playing with their child. What does that say about our love of money and possessions? They reckon the average person by the age of 20, if you just watch TV, has seen one million commercials. And all a commercial does is say, actually, what you've got is not enough. You need to dream for something else. It was recently quoted that in America, more people were declared bankrupt in one year than graduated college. Because they've got to this thing of, actually, I need money, I need money, I've spent it here. Oh, no, I'm in trouble. Now, the reality is none of us live in a vacuum. Society has made it the norm for people to spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. There was a survey of Britain this week. Six million British folk now fear never being debt-free. Six million. 25%. Okay, just look down your row. If there's four people, it's one of you. 25% are struggling to make ends meet. 62% are worried about personal debt levels. And 4.1 million people are already in serious financial difficulty in this country. This is why we need to talk about money. There's a danger, even in the blessing. I read this week, scary stuff, isn't it? Suicide tendencies tend to increase with the more resources you have. Funny, isn't it? I always thought, oh, if I had more, I'd be okay. I used to be a paper boy back in the day, 13, get up half past six, go delivering papers. I used to dream about winning the football pools. One million pounds would change my life forever. And now I'm telling my kids, one million's just not enough, is it? (laughs) 
reality is I could barely buy a house in Ealing for that. And then I've got a lifestyle that's got to go with it. Wait, wait, I, I need to, it's got to be at least five. And yet suicide tendencies tend to increase with more that you have. I read another story this week that they reckon if you get twice your salary, you're twice as likely to have an affair. Because people that cannot curb their appetite for the material world don't curb it for the sexual one either. I found that really shocking. Here's what I find even more shocking. When it comes to materialism, it's increasingly difficult to tell where the world ends and the church begins. So it's all very easy to throw out stats and stuff. We say, oh, that's London, and we live in London, and that's Ealing, and, you know, this is West London. 86% of churches are behind budget. That's a challenge, isn't it? 17% of church attenders, I'm looking at you, 17% claim to tithe. Sandra was talking about that today. And yet, in reality, only 2.7% do. 33% of churches are in debt. So it's so easy, isn't it, when it comes to money, just to feel pulled in both directions. I think, oh, golly, you know, how do I cope with this money? Or what am I going to spend it on? Philip Yancey, he's an American Christian author, he says this, I feel pulled in opposite directions over the money issue. Sometimes I want to sell all that I own, join a Christian commune, and live out my days in intentional poverty. At other times, I want to rid myself of guilt and enjoy the fruits of our nation's prosperity. Mostly, I wish I did not have to think about money at all. What's your response to money this morning? When I start throwing these things out, are you one that, if you're really honest, you think, oh, golly, it's horrible, and I want to throw it all away, and I just live in poverty? Or are you one that actually says, Pete, I don't really want to think about this. I just want to enjoy the wealth that there is in this capital. Or are you sitting here saying, I don't want to think about it at all. If I bury my head, hopefully the subject goes away. Another American author that I read, Paul David Tripp, He follows up with this punch. He says, perhaps the degree of our drive, discontent, and debt exposes the kings we're really serving. Perhaps what many of us attempt to do on Sundays is switch kings because the king that we come into the room to worship is not actually the king we've been serving all week. And so he's trying to say, well, actually, there's this whole choice going on. Who do we worship all week and then who do we pretend to worship on a Sunday? And does this impact our whole lifestyles? You see, as Christians, as believers, this fundamentally changes our identity. We are sons and daughters of the living God. That impacts every area of your life. What you look at, what you read, what you think about, and your money. When you have a confusion of your identity in God, you live with a poverty mentality, which makes you a sitting duck for money insanity. When you forget who you are in God, you end up having this poverty mentality. Oh, I need to grab, I need to get hold of, I need to store. And that just leads to money insanity. And so then we get this teaching of Jesus. 
I find it so challenging because if I'm really honest, it's so easy to worship the unholy trinity of self. My wants, my needs, and my feelings. J. John, who many of us would know, says people live in one of two tents, content or discontent. It's so easy when it comes to money. He goes on to say, God made us a little lower than the angels, but most of us are concerned to climb a little higher than the Joneses. We just want to do better than our neighbor, than the colleague at work. Whereas Jesus in Matthew, he comes in and and he tries to get to the root of the problem. He says, you don't have a budget problem, you have a treasure problem. What's your treasure? He says, you don't have a financial problem, you have a kingship problem. Who's your king? He says, you don't have a thing problem, you have a heart problem. When you look at this passage, the eye is what you see, the heart is what you love, the master is who you serve, eternity is the legacy that you leave. Jesus teaches on there as two treasures, earth or heaven. There are two perspectives, temporary or eternal. There are two masters, God or money. We're back to this whole choice. Selwyn Hughes, he was a Welsh Christian minister, says this, Remember, you cannot serve God and money, but you can serve God with money. As I was saying, I feel nervous about this preach, so I'm practicing it on some of my kids yesterday. My little slogan was this, We work hard, we live simply, and we give generously. And one of my kids just laughed at me. I said, isn't that the opposite to what society does? And I thought, great, he's got it. (laughs) Oh, God, I've given it away. You're down to one of two. (laughs) The reality is, it is so totally different to other people. So I want to be really, really practical as a church. You see, if we don't live by priorities, we live by pressures. Think about that. If you don't live by your choices, you live by the pressures of each day. The first thing I want to say this under practical is I want us to be a generous church. I loved it at the Craftanoon. I am not crafty at all. Any of you know that? The artistic thing I can do is enlarge and reduce on a photocopier. Apart from that, I don't do art. So I stood on the door welcoming. And as everyone left, I gave them an invitation to our alpha launch with the comedy and the hog roast. And it's just incredible, even there, because people say, what, it's free? Yeah, it's free. The comedy's free. What about the hog roast? Yeah, yeah, it's free. I did slip in, yeah, you've got to pay for your own drinks, but you know what I'm saying? They go, wow. Even when people came into the afternoon, you know, because we said it was free, they said, how much is each table? Oh, no, it's free. What about the tea and coffee in the corner? No, it's free. You see, I want us to model something of God to people. I love it with the little fish group that they do here on a Tuesday. It's so cheap. People say, are you making money? No, we lose money every Tuesday on it, and I love it. And they look at me and think, are you mad? (laughs) Well, of course I am, because we live with a different perspective. There's a different master, different thinking. I love the fact that as a church, we give away Bibles. So far, nobody's been able to catch me out, but I've always said, any nationality, I will find the Bible. If you speak it, we get it. And I've got hold of this company and they send us Bibles. I said, there you go. You want one in this dialect of Chinese? I've got it for you. We give them away free every time. Because we want to model something of generosity. That's the first thing I want to say. 
The second thing I want to say is if the church want to model generosity, I want us as individuals to model generosity. We are called to be a people that give. Somebody once said we're the most like God when we're giving because God so loved the world that he gave. Often it's not how much we make that matters. It's how much we keep. I I found this, I mean, golly, I have to be very careful or the whole sermon will be Randy Alcorn just spoken by the lips of Pete Cornford. A book I read probably 20 years ago, Money, Possessions and Eternity, was the one that most challenged me on this whole subject. He even said, you know, every year when your income rises, does your standard of living have to rise? Or is it your standard of giving that rises? Because I've always thought if you get a pay rise, that's great. We could have another takeaway this month or we could go to the cinema. I think, oh God, how do I think in this kind of radical way? The first thing I'm going to say is we start by giving, by recognizing that we are owners and not stewards. I've said this before, but I would say it again now. When the offering came round, if I had Mark's wallet in my pocket, how much would I give? I'd give it all. (laughs) I mean, Mark's rich, isn't he? We all know that, don't we? Great, let's take the offering again. (laughs) Look, I've got a card. (laughs) You see, suddenly we would do that kind of stuff, wouldn't we? Watch, yeah, yeah. It's Mark's watch, throw it in the pot. But isn't that funny? Because suddenly I don't feel it's my possessions. I feel like I'm... Oh, but actually everything I've got is God's. Just in my name. Why do I hold it tighter? It says in 1 Peter 4 verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace. If you've never started, I encourage you to start. The second thing that we teach is that if you get money, it's good to give regular. As and when you get the money. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says this, On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I found this really struck home. Some of you know we called it starting a church or planting a church. Nick and I moved here to do this one. Before that, we'd done one in the next borough in Hillingdon. But when we moved there to start that church, uh, the money was all going through a different church. Stick with me. And I thought, I don't want to give my money to that church. They were handling it all for us. I'm going to wait until it's here. And so for nine months, I didn't give anything, but I was saving it. And suddenly, at nine months, we started this one, and I thought, oh, golly, now I've got to give it. And suddenly, I thought, I'm not sure I want to. It's quite a lot of money, actually. (laughs) I could have a really nice holiday on that. And then I thought, this is why the principle is there. Give regular. If I get paid weekly, give weekly. If I get paid monthly, give monthly. If I get paid fortnightly or every four weeks or however, give regular. The third step we would say on giving, and this I didn't know that Sandra was going to say it this morning, is the whole principle of tithing. As I said, the average Christian gives 2.7%. And yet the biblical principle, I would say, is start with a tithe. Malachi 3, Sandra read it to you earlier, I'm not going to read it to you again. But to me, I've always seen tithing not as the ceiling, but as the floor. If you say, how do I start? Start at the floor. Work your way up. Yeah, well, golly, is that 
after tax or before tax? Oh, come on, let's dream big. Let's just be crazy. Let's do it before tax. Whoa! (laughs) Because suddenly there's this whole principle of, hey, how could I honor God? Jeff Letts, I read one of his books on, he's an entrepreneur, speaker, and pastor, says tithing is not about money. It's about trust. Condition of your heart before God. And my danger is that I've often made it into the money that goes into the pot, and actually it's trusting God. And then the fourth step that I would say is extravagance. Extravagance. I think some of us that have been Christians for a long time, we read the Bible and we forget just how totally bizarre it really is. I often think of Jesus watching the offering basket go round. I mean, it's in the temple, isn't it? And he sat there literally opposite the bucket and he's watching what people put in. And this old lady puts in two small coins worth very little. But what does Jesus say? That woman is a hero. Why? Because she's given everything she's got. I thought, wow, that's another level. You see, if I'd have been there as the church pastor, I might have jumped out in front of the pot and said, just put one in. Because if you put both in, I'll, I'll end up feeding you tomorrow and I'd rather you got your own lunch. But Jesus didn't. Because his extravagance was, whoa, that's just a whole nother level, isn't it? Luke 24, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live in. Nelson Searcy, he's written a book on extravagant giving. He said, an extravagant gift is not determined by its amount, but by its proportion to the giver's income. And so we're not getting caught up on whether, you know, it's a thousand pound, ten thousand, a hundred thousand, but it's in proportion to our income. I've always said, and Anugra is our church treasurer, I don't know who gives what in this church. And that was true in my last church as well. I said, I don't want to get caught up in that. You know what I'm saying? If you get invited around for dinner, it's not because I don't think you're giving or because I think you give a lot. It's just because I'm trying to connect with people. The treasurer in my last church said, because uh, I always said, give me faith stories. He said, oh, you might be really interested to know there's one person in the church on benefits who double tithes. You know what? I felt unworthy to handle the money. I thought, wow, really? That's just an extravagant giver. Double tithes. Now, I know you're sat on the edge of your chair going, Pete, it's time to finish, but please make this practical. How could we get involved? Well, we do have a gift day coming up, so I thought it would be great to drop that one in right at this moment. We have a gift day coming up on the 6th and the 13th of May. We do it every year, and we do it really as a chance to say, come on, let's trust God with our fund. Now, I know many people have given to our vision fund, which we did just before Christmas. But I still encourage you, listen to what God says. Don't be, look, I'm not here to blackmail anyone. Listen to God. I don't want to rob you of the thrill and the adventure of trusting him and what he says to you. C.S. Lewis, he was the British novelist, poet, and academic, says biblical charity is more than merely giving away, which we can afford to do without. It's not like, oh, just do we tip God? How do we go? Now, some of you might say, look, I've got loads to give. That is brilliant. Some of you will be sat here thinking, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm one of those that are in a lot of debt. 
And I'm thrilled to be able to say that when we start our next lot of meetups, and I shouldn't be plugging them yet, Rich will tell me off, I'm sure. But as I've got the mic, I'm going to do it anyway. We're going to run the CAP money course. James and Alicia, I know, are going to be trained in that. They're going to be doing it. I think it's going to be on a Wednesday night. And you might say, do you know what? This has raised a load of questions. I cannot respond to God because I'm in so much trouble. I've made decisions that are now biting me. I'd like to be able to work that through. Well, you might say, to be honest, I earn so much, but I'm still not quite sure where it goes. I'd like to work that through. This CAP money course would be great for you. As Randy Alcorn says, it is impossible to become a fully devoted follower of Jesus without also becoming a fully developed steward of our resources. Right, that's enough about the church. I want to throw down the question now, is what are you like in life? In life. Do colleagues at work love going out for lunch with you because they know you pick up the tab? Do people think, oh, actually, I, you know what? I love hanging around with them. They are generous people. Basil of Caesarea, he was the fourth century bishop, and he said this. When somebody strips a man of his clothes, we call him a thief. And one who might clothe the naked and does not, should not he be given the same name? The bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry. The coat in your wardrobe belongs to the naked. The money in your vault belongs to the destitute. And so fundamentally, and we keep saying this, I would love to think Ealing is a better place because we're here and we're generous. And they don't think, oh, it's a tight church, or oh, they're always asking for money. Actually, they think, oh, wow, they want to give money. Surely that is what we should be like if we're following Jesus Christ. You see, the reality is God is the greatest giver. We know that, don't we? We have to remind ourselves of that. God is the So when it comes to anything with money, I've got to look at him. It says in Corinthians, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We believe that God treats us with grace. So mercy, we often say this, means that he doesn't treat me as I deserve. Grace means that he blesses me with things I don't deserve. Now let me just suggest this. Grace, the grace of God to me, will cause me to love the king rather than want to be king. And I think that changes the way we think about our money. The grace of God causes me to love the king rather than want to be the king. And so often when we have money, it's not about what do I do with my money. It's actually how do I love him. Grace should make a radical difference. I'm going to wind up now. We're going to pray. I know the Bible says this, and there's so many things. I feel I've only scratched the, 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 the topic in such a small way. Hopefully you've gone away with more questions. Hopefully you go home fuming after this one. And over dinner you say, what do you think Pete was saying about that? And hopefully you read the Bible and you get the answers for you. That would be great. I would love to throw this in. Seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added to you. 
So there's two groups. There's those that are blessed and those that are struggling. I'd like to pray for you about your finances this morning. I'm not asking you to give an account to me. I'm just asking you to give an account to him. If you recognize, actually, Father, I need you to touch me again, I'm just going to encourage you where possible to kneel where you are. And we just take a moment to surrender to him. It's almost a, it's a, it's a, it's a case of, actually, Lord, we want to get on our knees before you this morning and uh, not bow before the God of money, but before the God of the universe. So if you'd like to do that, you just take a moment. We will kneel, I will pray, and then we'll hand back to Mark. Father, we want to thank you so much for your generosity to us. Lord, even when I'm talking about this, I'm aware there's two billion in the world that don't have a dollar a day. Lord, I'm aware that I compare to people in Ealing that have so much more than me. God, I do want to come full of gratitude and thank you for the food that I have, the clothes that I have the place I have to live. I thank you that we've got a place to meet as a church. I thank you for your blessings in so many areas. Father, I I do believe all the gold on the earth belongs to you. I believe that I'm a steward of what you've entrusted to me. Forgive me when I've tried to hang on to it for myself. Forgive me when, almost in an orphan mentality, I've forgotten that I'm the son of God and, and I've, I've squirreled and I've complained and I've grabbed at it when I should have given it away. I thank you that you bless me so that I can be a blessing to other people. Even after this morning, I pray that, that, that you would do something in my heart, in my hands and in my pocket. God, I know yours is an upside-down kingdom. I know you said in Malachi that if we give, you open the floodgates of heaven. Not that I just become rich, but that I can give more away. Oh, God, I do want to surrender to you with all that you've given to me. In Jesus' name, amen.